Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about criminal justice. So this is yet another topic that I am super excited to be talking about because I think I might have actually mentioned it at some point in the past, but there was a point just in my life where I was considering becoming a lawyer and just criminal justice is just always something that has just interested me because in the real world, it always just kind of struck me as rather odd that the way we punish everyone is just to lock them away for years to the rest of their life and that's that like that doesn't seem efficient to me so it's just a topic of interest so when i got into dnd and started thinking more on the topic i actually did a lot of research into like the history of criminal justice and like how it worked in the distant past you know what are some philosophies on the whys and the hows of it. And it just is a topic that I think is rather neat. So finally, I convinced Nathan to let me talk about it. So uh, before I do go on a full-on Remy rant, as I am wont to do, uh, Nathan, in D&D, what do you think... Well, just I want to just get your general take on the topic before we go in-depth on any particular thing. Well, um... So here's my thoughts on criminal justice. Uh, when it comes down to it, I feel like criminal justice is about um, how is crime treated in your world? And generally speaking, how do the people see it? So there's certain ways that justice systems can go about taking care of these criminals, right? But I would simply say that what it comes down to is punishment or trying to fix what they basically trying to reform them so is one is the goal of this justice is it to fix these people or to punish them for their crimes and that's essentially what you could really break these down into thank you you hit the nail on the head and that is excellent the biggest point to think about when you're playing D and creating your own criminal justice system is what goal do you want the system to have do you want to punish people for doing bad things do you want to reform people or to make them useful in some way what is it that you are trying to achieve because the goal that you have will very much influence everything else on how you choose to go about it and unlike in a game like Skyrim that just has, you know, the one response to crimes of, you know, you have committed crimes against Skyrim and her people, and it's just either fine or jail, you can have multiple systems in different places if you want to. And that actually, from the outside in world building perspective, is another just fun thing for me to think about. If you have different places even nearby each other especially nearby each other that have radically different philosophies then that could be a point of contention very very easily so this could very easily be something that creates just tension in world of having there be just differences in nearby cities 
So if you have, you know, one city that is if someone commits theft, then they just have to, you know, pay a fine equal to double the value of the thing that they stole. And then they can just be on their way. And if they can't, then they are forced to work for the state in some fashion, like in a mine or in doing something if they have some kind of magical aptitude, just doing something of value until they have paid off that value of fine. So um, let me just put it out here and say that I I see that there's a couple very easy ways to um, simplify criminal justice depending on the location. So uh, traditionally, how uh, like there's one way that you can do um, criminal justice, especially in a smaller town where everyone knows each other, which is basically publicly shame the person who did the thing, bring them up to the town square, freaking whip them a couple times and say, oh, this guy, he um, stole goats from a uh, uh, farmer, jack boys uh, farm or something like that and just whip the shit out of him. And then after it's done, he is let go and simply like, don't do that again. And then generally people will, with time, forgive him for what he has done. And he can go back to being whatever he was prior to this entire situation. And in other cities and such where you don't have that communal thing where you can't simply make someone um, as an example into, like, as make someone as, as a, an example, you can do similar things where you just do the same thing but as a deterrent for people who are thinking of it and do similar viewings just that you know you just have the punishment be more relevant or uh, equal to what they did and so say someone is murdered you have something that is like one example I've thought of is like murderers end up in an, an arena and what you have is basically them brutally kill each, kill each other to get a chance of redemption, perhaps. And what you get basically is a situation where people are looking at these people and seeing them freaking suffer and die. And the last person who survives, maybe you just keep that guy, make him a freaking soldier because he killed all that people. Why, why would you waste this guy who's good, good enough to kill people and not put him in a position within your army or something along those lines? And yeah, you can actually make this criminal into someone useful and you can tell, basically tell the populace that don't do this. It's, you're going to die. <laughs> so yeah. And to tangent away a bit, there's one word you said that stuck out that is worth addressing to me, and that is redemption. Redemption is something that a lot of media has trouble with. So the example I'll go to is in Harry Potter, Albus Dumbledore is wrong in how he believes redemption to work. He believes that you should actively forgive your enemies for their bad things because the death of anyone is tragic. And that is his belief. And I do not share that belief. The way that I think of things is that for someone to be redeemed, they have to A, want it for themselves and make the choice and or realization that I have done bad and I would like to make up my debt to society and then actually take steps to do so. And the difficulty then comes in of, okay, if you have done terrible things in the past, what does it mean to be redeemed? What, how do you pay off your debt to society? And I find that rather 
interesting since um, when it comes down to it, redemption is basically the repayment of your crimes to a society, which could simply mean, okay, you will dedicate the rest of your life to righting the wrongs that you've done and then continuing that practice and going on forward to actually be a positive force in society. Or it could simply be, I have righted the wrongs that I've committed and now I will now just be a normal person. I will no, no longer go to such lengths to protect people because I don't want to risk my life like that anymore, but I shall not do such evil again. Exactly. So a point that you've made well is the fact that exactly how you do pay your debts to society is not something that has a single answer. And in D&D, there are many, many angles that you can take to do it. So actually, in the optional rule sets in the Dungeon Master's Guide in the DM Workshop, there actually, I want to say that there is a karma system in there and that you could literally numerically track that. On the other hand, if you are not using that, then... Then again, wait, Remy, but there's something yes. that I need to bring up about using numeral karma systems, which very often situations are very hard to define as definite points in karma because something more loose like what happened in arc one in regards to the group killing the red carnival which clearly seems like a good thing but cause some side effects are bad how would you actually convert that grayness into a definitive point value yes uh also uh to correct myself i double checked just to be sure and i was wrong there is honor and sanity there's not actually a karma system so thankfully i was wrong actually in this instance Ooh, that hurts to say. Anyway, so yes, while you are absolutely correct that having a actual number to it does kind of cheapen things. But for some overly logical people like myself, it is at least worth mentioning as an option, just as a way to keep track of it. Is it the ideal way? No, but it is an option that can be considered to have a numerical system. On the other hand, another way that actually is historically accurate-ish, as well as something that is done in a lot of video game, is the idea of a fine. The idea of if you commit X crime, then you owe blank money. And that is a different kind of numerical way to quantify crime. And that actually Skyrim does this surprisingly well for the most part, of if you commit crimes, then you are assigned a fine based on the crime that you do. And it is, you know, higher for a more expensive theft. Murder is very expensive. And it escalates and builds up into a bounty if you continue to commit crimes. And that is actually an interesting way to go about things. So in a D&D game, you can just in some places or everywhere, if you choose to do so, just quantify that in different places crimes may be able to just be paid off or you may you know want to do a you know diplomatic encounter with the guards to see if they'll let you off for a minor crime or to see if you can just go the embarrassment route of you know whipping or rotten vegetables with someone locked in the stocks there is no one way to go about things and as i love to say having those creative options is a large part of the fun of playing D&D the fact that there are so many different ways of how you can go about doing things so hey remy what about magic 
how do you think it should be basically punished within a city? Um, should it be uh, differentiated between what kind of magic is it? Or will it, should it be more general? How should it be punished? And comparatively, how should it be compared to real life crimes? Because magic isn't a real thing, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So, oh boy, this this is a happy question for me. This is absolutely one of those infinite variations situations. So there are a lot of questions in what you just asked. A, what magic is punishable? B, how? And then C, what magic is there on the law enforcement side of things? And all of those are rather complicated, honestly. So what magic is punishable? That is, well, a question that any DM has to answer themselves. So it would make sense. Like there are some magics that just would make sense to have a blanket ban in a city, let's say in particular. So if you're in a large populated city where everyone is close together, then you might just say fire magic is just flat out banned if for anything larger than like single target. So like you could cast like a fire bolt at someone, but you cannot cast a fireball because you don't want a fireball going off in a city because city fires are fucking horrendous. To be honest, when it comes to fire, I think generally speaking, one very easy way to do it is don't allow people to use fire magic that could create more fire than you could easily do with non-magical means. This way it prevents yeah, anything bigger the, than a torch. Yeah, basically. Absolutely. So people can still use it to light their homes and warm their houses, but not blow up the <laughs> town square and kill people easily without exactly. getting punished clearly. Yeah. So it could because actually a fun historical fact that a lot of people don't know about uh, swords in history, there actually used to be restrictions in cities of like you cannot have a blade exceeding this length in cities. Like that is just a thing that happened in a lot of places. And they would just have at the city gate just like a blade just stuck on the wall or just at the check-in station or just something like that where you can just compare you know a sword that you have to the example one and just like if you have a short sword or a dagger then you can carry that around with you but you cannot have like a proper war sword in the city so there is historical precedence for saying like no fire larger than a torch would actually make sense by just extending that analogy to magic now, besides fire, it would also make a lot of sense for uh, compulsion type magic to be banned. So charm person is underappreciated in how horrific it is. That is a spell that can very easily mind control a person for up to an hour as a first level spell. So a lot of magic users in the world can potentially do that so considering how relatively easily accessible that is if someone is found to have used that magic in the city that's not okay like mind control is really really easy in D. &D. 
Yeah, and mind control, like, let, let's just put it in perspective how horrible mind control is. So mind control is basically, imagine yourself, right? There's someone you hate or somebody who, who you would hate because of yeah, and them doing terrible things. You don't like what they do or so and so forth. And they just cast a spell and they basically, you basically treat them like someone who isn't all of that things and just a friendly acquaintance. Do you know how crazy that is? Anything that results in you um, not actually making your own choices sounds horrifying because basically it's pretty much on the same thing where they do something to you that you don't get any choice in, you can't say yes or no, and then you become whatever they want you to be, which is terrible. Yeah, and I'm sorry to put it in more crude terms, but a lot of mind control magic has also been referred to as mind rape. And I don't disagree with that sentiment. It is a violation of who you are as a person inside your own brain. And honestly, there are I want to I can't actually think of anything more horrifying to me personally than that. The idea of being mind controlled is just one of my terrors. I would legitimately say that it's something on the level of slavery and it's I, I feel that would be should be punished more than murder because murder is just simply denying someone's life and mind control at times can simply be making it so that they own you basically. So and there we get into actually what could be a relatively interesting argument. So different places in the world could put different value, for lack of a better word, on different crimes. So you can have one place that says, you know, murder is the worst thing that a person can do and have their system set up accordingly. Another place can say mind control is worse than that because that is just a terrible thing to do to someone like that could be more comparable to slavery in terms of punishments. Actually, a tangent uh, about that slavery itself is something that thankfully most people of modern society have realized is a bad thing uh unfortunately not everyone still but in D, it is a thing that happens much more often than we do see so how you choose to treat slavery in your games is another thing worth thinking about so is it something that is universally banned, is it something that some places are okay with? Because that can set up a kind of interesting storyline, potentially, if you have your characters realize that, you know, oh, yes, you know, there is slavery in, you know, this city, that city, and that one over there. But everyone else may disagree with that. But having that kind of contrast of opinion is potentially good storyline. Uh, on the other hand, oddly enough, just one area where I do have a kind of different opinion on that is when it comes to indentured servitude. But I don't trust it to work in the real world because humans are assholes. And historically speaking, it has been proven that that doesn't work great. But in a D&D world, so now we get into more of the enforcement side of things. In a world where magical contracts exist that say, you know, for this duration, this is the situation. And as the owner, you are obligated to provide at least this standard of living. It is a more enforceable option. So if you have, say, 
you know, as we mentioned earlier, the whole debt to, debt to society issue. So if you say, okay, this person has, you know, stolen a lot of things over time. So he's racked up a debt of 20,000 gold. But we know that this person is a decent-ish magic user, but does have the knowledge to make magic items. So you can then have there be a kind of indentured servitude contract that they have to agree to sign. And as a tangent, as we mentioned in the Devil's episode, tangent on the tangent, that magical contracts cannot be entered into with magical coercion. So they have to, and that, you know, no, they can be pressured Remy, into, but they have to willingly sign. I mm-hmm. do have to say there's something interesting to be brought up about um, magical contracts, which is imagine somebody got into a magical contract that specifically said, oh, you do this like in the small text that they didn't read because they're an idiot, um, that, oh, you, we basically own you. And... Also, you're not supposed to tell anyone. You, you, that guy would be so fucked. But okay, let's say yep. the law enforcement do find out that um, this person used the magical contract to uh, get this person into it. Here's a question: How are what will the law do? Because the person signed there, they accepted it. They said, "Oh, I'm gonna do this." So. What position do you think fantasy law would take in this situation? (laughs) Thank you for asking me that question. So, as has been said numerous times throughout (laughs) all of these episodes, I love thinking outside in. So, in this instance, that would depend on what are the local laws. So, if you are in a place that has like laws on the book. So in a place where magical contracts exist, much like contract law is a branch that exists in the real world, there ought to be laws about contracts in a D&D world where that exists. So it could very well be that, you know, for crimes exceeding blah, 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 there is to be a review every, you know, 10 years, or there's supposed to be a... You know, or maybe like the only people who can make magical contracts are like certified law clerics or some such thing. There are many different ways on how you could go about it. So who can make magical contracts is an important part of that. Is it just a magic item that anyone is able to just purchase and use with whatever text they want and can get someone to agree to? Is it someone, something that like, you know, only that positively sounds terrible, just giving it it to anyone that sounds like, hey, dude, here's the nuclear launch (laughs) codes and then you just sell it for like a dollar. (laughs) yeah i mean i mean we might get into it more later but that actually is how i play my world like it is just a magic item that anyone can get their hands on and who boy has that had repercussions that i am quite fond of but anyway that's a tangent on a tangent on a tangent but yes so who can make magical contracts if that is a thing that you have in your world is very important can anyone get it can only certain people make them and who has the legal right to make them because it may well be a thing that any magic user has the ability to make a contract but that it is illegal for anyone like not certified by the government to do so so that you know opens up a number of other potential paths because then you could also have like black market contracts be a thing which is another thing that could be really cool story wise on the other hand if you have it be where it is more 
Wild West in terms of contracts of just anyone can do it, then that may just lead to the whole never sign magical contracts because you can never trust that anyone will do it, you know, or at the very least you need to, you know, hire a lawyer before you sign a contract and that you really shouldn't ever sign one under duress, which, you know, is true enough for the real world and would be especially true in a world of magic. So how you choose to go about that is very much up to you. So I love talking magical contracts and I could keep going on with examples of that, but we absolutely do also need to tangent away from that into in a world that does not use magical contracts. How do you enforce the law? Short answer, well, it's fucking hard. Damn it. I thought... You didn't take it. I uh, know the thing is right, the stupid lag. What were you yeah. saying to yourself? Right, I'll pause. You can edit out my response if you need to and just go for it. Yes. So in the situation where you don't have um, the magical contracts, there's certain fun things that you can do. So that's always the case of just using the mind control magic on the people. But then again, that's no fun because they don't actually get to feel all the um, terrible, terrible feelings of being, oh, no, I, I don't want to do this. Jeez. And yeah, that's no fun because that's not proper punishment. Actually, not necessarily. So, have, you, have you heard of a spell called geese? No. So this is another of those kind of neat underrated spells. And it is a fifth level spell available to bards, clerics, druids, paladins, wizards. And uh, also Oath of the Crown Paladins, but it's on the Paladin spell list anyway. But anyway, what Geese does, it is a charm spell, but what it but you place a magical command on a creature, and during the as long as the spell lasts, it just takes five d10 psychic damage each day that they are acting counter to the instruction. So it doesn't prevent it. But a 5d10 psychic damage could be enough to just flat out obliterate low level characters. I do have so, to say that would be brilliant yes. as a plot device because some people might just mm -hmm. simply be like, there could be like the interesting character choice. I don't do what they say and I fucking die because I won't do what they say. And that could be mm -hmm. really interesting, I feel, especially for a plot device. And what's even better about that spell is that the fifth level spell has a 30 day duration. So a freaking month. So that spell could very easily be used to punish, you know, low level evil people or just, you know, criminals. I shouldn't say evil because there are good reasons to do bad things. But anyway, the mere threat of that being cast would also help prevent a lot of people from doing certain actions or just being more careful about getting caught to it. But what's also cool is that it also has a thing where if that spell gets cast at higher level, then the duration goes up instead of the damage. So with a seventh or eighth level spell slot, it is a year. Well, if someone is powerful enough to cast it with a ninth level, it is permanent until it is dispelled by a remove curse, greater restoration or wish. So Remy, so, there's something that just came to yes. mind. Um, we've been talking about these crimes, right? And about criminal justice, but we've all been talking about criminal justice from the side of the government. What about justified crimes? So like somebody killed someone, is would it be justified for a citizen to kill that person? Um, other stuff like 
uh, is crimes of passion even a thing? Because that's a stupid thing that exists some places. And uh, yeah. I mean, hold on a second. I need to address this. I do not think that crimes of passion is a stupid thing to have separate. There is a difference between a crime in response to something, you know, heartbreaking and a premeditated crime that can be a very different thing. Can an argument be made that 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 justification is is used? Yeah. Like, can it be used too often as a legal defense? Absolutely. But I definitely say that it is still a fair thing to have on the books. But anyway, now this is where a spell I have talked about a whole lot in the past comes back into prevalence. Zone of Truth! (laughs) I love that spell. And what is so interesting about it is that while there very much are characters that have class abilities to defeat it, that is exceptionally rare, not to mention high level for the most part. Like any magic that does hide, you know, your truthfulness is high level. So 99.9% of regular people have no defense against that. So it is a very, very easy way to get to the truth of the matter. And because it is a zone spell and not single target, if you just had, you know, someone who can cast that spell in, you know, a, I want to say courtroom, but that may or may not be something that exists in your world, but I'm just going to use it for the sake of convenience. So in a courtroom, you cast zone of truth. So everyone in the area is obligated to be truthful. And anyone who does save from the spell is known to the caster. That is a detail of it that a lot of people don't know or think about. But if someone does try to resist, that is known. In addition to that fact, then what is also dangerous about the spell is that it repeats the saving throw as long as they're still in the area of effect. So even if they try to resist it at first, you can simply say to them, if you keep resisting, then we will immediately just give you a harsher punishment if you are found guilty. So it that one spell just completely changes how criminal justice can work. And this is going on the assumption that there is someone available to cast Zone of Truth. But one other thing, though, is that magic in D&D is relatively flexible. So an argument could easily be made that a permanent Zone of Truth spell could be cast in you know, a courtroom or just a law office, whatever you want to call it. So having a permanent zone of truth in an area would be absolutely invaluable in such a world. And any city of sufficient size ought to have such a location because having there be little to no doubt about the truth of the matter is just incomprehensibly valuable in terms of criminal justice. One of the unfortunate most common situations in crime is, you know, he said, she said. The fact that there are no other witnesses except for the involved party. So getting to the truth of the matter is insanely difficult in the real world in a lot of cases because obviously each person involved in the situation has a rather strong opinion about it. Not to mention in the idea of a crime of passion, then this does get 
to the truth of the matter that I was not thinking. I, you know, stumbled across, you know, my best friend sleeping with my wife and just, you know, drew my dagger. And by the time I was aware of things again, they were both dead and I was just sobbing on the floor. Like, and if it is a crime of passion or a premeditated murder, like, or if there is reason for the crime that you have done, then getting to the facts of the matter, just, oh man, I love Zone of Truth. That I have said many a time before, it is a world changing spell just to have that in existence. Not to mention, so I met that. I keep talking about a city of sufficient size, but considering the fact that Zone of Truth is not actually that difficult a spell to cast, it is a second level spell, which means that a third level, you know, bard or cleric has the ability to cast that, then that would mean that there'd be, it'd be relatively accessible in, you know, a medium to high magic world. Like even a low magic world, there would not be, you know, no people that would potentially have that spell. So considering that it is a second level, a 30 foot diameter, so it can easily cover a whole room, being unable to speak a deliberate lie. Not to mention, then you also have the option of, you know, maybe make a magic item. Like there is a, you know, wand of fireball that just lets someone cast fireball up to seven times. So there's a lot of magic items like that. So making one of those for Zone of Truth, just as a recharging magic item that casts that spell, is easily possible in most D&D worlds. So unless you have an exceptionally low-powered magic D&D world, having Zone of Truth accessible is invaluable. But I absolutely do have to mention this fact. I am an overly logical DM. This is known. The danger of having Zone of Truth be so readily accessible is player characters. Player characters often do break the law. Even in non-evil campaigns, that's just a thing that happens kind of a lot. So in the event of players breaking the law, and if they do, you know, not, or if they do commit a crime that is not able, able to be paid off, whether it is lack of money or just not being willing to do so, that if players end up in like a courtroom scene, number one, I just my personal style, like I liked to watch Law and Order when I was like 10. I'm not a normal human being. I know this. But playing out that courtroom scene is something that I find to be entertaining. And having options presented to your players at the end of things after they have been found guilty of a crime to either have the characters get sent to jail where they can either decide to just live out their sentence and potentially do a time skip later on or to just play out the day-to-day lives kind of slice of life or to let them attempt a prison break should they choose to do so there are many options now rewinding a bit back to the court scene if the players are found guilty those are options that can be taken but they could also try to make a deal because again if you have you know geese or a magical contract or even just a legal contract it doesn't have to be magically enforced like they're they're our world has had you know, contracts be a thing for I don't even know how many thousands of years. 
and it has its flaws, but it does work a lot of the time. So you can have players make an agreement. Okay, then the players are indebted to this city for the crimes that they have committed. So what they have to do is, you know, go after this worse criminal that managed to escape the city. So if they track this person down and bring him back to the city alive, then their crimes are forgiven because they have brought a greater criminal to justice. Like there are an infinite number of story hooks that a DM can work with because even though player characters are like the focus of the story, there is not just one response that can be taken should they get caught in their misdeeds. All right. So the last thing that we definitely need to cover, though, is jail. Jail is actually a new ish thing. The idea of holding someone for a long period of time as a punishment because it costs resources to feed people and to take care of them. And if they have medical issues, do you treat them? It is an enormous expense to hold someone. So if you think about it, a lot of the time in fantasy fantasy stories, there are two types of jails that are not actually like the modern day version. There is either torture jails. Well, Yes, but that's the second one. Uh, let me I'll get to that in a moment. So the first one, though, is just a royal is being held in a tower somewhere, you know, whether like the true king is being locked up so the evil brother can rule or the princess is kept locked away for an indefinite period of time. Like for the most part, jail was for the sake of holding someone valuable for the sake of ransom. It was not actually a criminal thing to hold someone for a long period of time. Most of the time, the purpose of a jail was either to hold someone until their punishment could be figured out or torture. (laughs) So it was just a direct punishment of they are to be tortured until they confess to their misdeeds. And for better and for worse, you know, in a D&D world, that could happen more often with you know more sadistic people because with healing magic existing out there it's unfortunately a lot easier to torture people for extreme lengths of time so it could potentially be an option in your world to have the punishment for more horrific crimes b you are to be tortured for i don't know a year and you will just be like restored to pristine condition each day. And it is just like a Greek level horrific punishment of torture. And that is just potentially a thing that can be done. Or it could just be you are to be tortured until you die. And just that's that. That is not my preference of punishment. But I can't say that it is not something that might be desired. I do have to say there's something really fun about the torture till you die will re- revive you so that we can torture till you die again kind of idea, which say this happens to a villain. <laughs> and if they manage to escape, they are pretty justified in trying to kill whoever did that to them. Yeah. Although I will say just again, my overly logical mind insists on mentioning that it's one thing to just torture to the point of healing magic to restore them. But if you actually do torture to death repeatedly, that just gets expensive because resurrection is not cheap. 
not to mention that there's the whole soul has to be free and willing. So if someone is tortured to death and then someone casts the resurrection to bring them back, like I would just say, fuck that and just stay dead. I wouldn't want to come back just to be tortured more. Like even if I were, you know, an egotistical villain, pain is bad. Unless you were like the kind of villain who was like, oh shit, I've done terrible things. I deserve this. And then you, you come back because you, you feel like you're a bit, you, you can't let yourself. Maybe. That could be an escape. interesting character origin, actually. But yeah, so the idea of jails in a modern sense of just to hold someone indefinitely is a relatively modern creation. So how you plan to incorporate that into your world may vary. You can decide to have it be the more modern day where you do have long lasting jails to hold people. And that is actually a relatively common thing to just hold people. Like even in D&D, we do apply our modern sensibilities a lot of the time. So how is a difficult question? Because magic users exist. And magic users are bullshit. Like, even at relatively low levels, like, you've got Misty Step as a second level spell that could just allow someone to fucking teleport as a bonus action, and that's available as soon as third level characters for certain classes. So, to hold a criminal magic user is fucking hard. So, normally, the go-to on how to do it is to gag them, and or bind their hands because most spells have a verbal and or somatic component and that if a character can't do one or both of those things then they cannot cast their magic what makes it even more complicated is that that is not always the case so sometimes they may like people sometimes think that oh if you gag them or if you bind their hands then that's good enough and to not do both the problem being that there are some spells that only have a verbal component or only have a somatic component so you don't know that if you have someone you know have their hands tied up but you know their mouth is still free then they could still cast you know certain spells that would really suck so well, what was it sword burst i want to say yeah so sword burst is verbal only you do not need your hands to cast the cantrip sword burst so you can just have a fucking magical buzzsaw spin around you and attack you know any guard that are trying to lead you away or if you're in a cell you could just continually use it because it's a cantrip to just start trying to just slice through the walls or bars or whatever situation you're in and it gets even worse when you factor sorcerers into the equation because sorcerers have a feature called metamagic that lets them tweak how their magic works in some way so one of the things that they have the option of is subtle spell which lets them cast their spell with no component so they can be gagged and tied up and they can still just make shit happen so they can still just launch a fucking fireball if they're you know of sufficient level and they can just do that even if they are totally tied up so magic users are just fucking dangerous in if you think about it in terms of being locked up so the only thing that you can really do is have like a permanent anti-magic zone cast over like a wizard jail and something like that would be enormously expensive so what is interesting though 
is that there is actually precedent for this in some of the D&D adventures. So I don't remember which one it is offhand, but in one of the official published materials, there is a drow prison that has a permanent anti-magic zone. And it's even more interesting because they also have tokens of some kind, I don't remember, that the drow themselves who man the place are able to have on their person that makes them exempt from the effect. And boy, does that open up some interesting options in your own worlds. So you could either have there be permanent anti-magic jail, which just everyone has no magic. And then maybe you just rely on, you know, fighters and rogues to man the place. Or you can have it be where it is only magic lists to the prisoners and that the guards have the exemption thing. So that is kind of the only way to safely hold magic people. And if you do have, you know, sufficiently clever individuals in a jail, then it's not impossible for them to try to figure out how to trick a guard to coming close enough for them to steal the thing. Or maybe, you know, someone has a familiar that was invisible or, well, no, that would get canceled by the anti-magic actually. But point being that there are ways that a sufficiently clever individual might still try to get around such things. But, oh boy, as I am constantly repeating, there are an infinite number of ways on how you can go about it. So in summary, DMs need to think more about how crime is treated in their worlds. What is it that is punishable? How? And then what you're going to do about it? Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So, so support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook, as Riffwake, and on Reddit, on a subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.